It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes, and this is Lydia DePillis. I'm a reporter in the D.C. Bureau of ProPublica, which is a nonprofit investigative newsroom. Lydia has been looking into a problem with rapid COVID tests, the kind you can get at the local pharmacy and bring home to use. The problem is that there aren't enough of them and they're too expensive. So to understand how we got here, first we need to explain the different kinds of COVID tests and how they work. The type of test that we saw most often in 2020 was a highly accurate form of test is always administered by a healthcare provider or someone who's trained to do it. And that's known as a PCR test. And it detects the actual molecules of the virus itself. And those are quite accurate, but it can take several days to get results back depending on how backed up the laboratory is. So that's not very much use if what you're trying to do is pick up on COVID as soon as you get it and as soon as you're about to become infectious and able to spread the virus to other people. Then came the serology test, which detects antibodies. So that can tell you whether you already had COVID. So not super useful for stemming the spread of the virus, but, you know, nice to know. And then the third type of test that started to become available was something called an antigen test. And that detects the proteins that are attached to the actual SARS virus. And these tests are not quite as sensitive, meaning they perform better when you have a higher viral load. You have more of the stuff in your nose. And that's important because that is when you're most able to pass the virus on to others. And the advantage to them is that you can get results back almost immediately, especially if it is packaged in a home format. The technology for most of these at-home tests works almost exactly like a pregnancy test, and it's not that sophisticated technology. And that brings us back to the problem with rapid at-home tests. PCR tests were covered by insurance, but at-home tests, importantly, there's nobody who's on the hook for paying for those. It's almost always. You need to buy one of these. And they cost between $14 and about $35. And that is obviously far more than they actually cost to produce. But the lower cost tests are almost never available because the supply is so short. And if they are available, they're going to be behind the counter because they're in such high demand. We want to prevent people from grabbing whole armfuls of them. And some stores even have limits on how many you can buy. I don't think Americans have ever experienced what the ideal form of at-home tests is, which is that they are ubiquitous, cheap, and, you know, not a problem if you need to get a fistful of them for your family if you're all gathering in one place just for a little extra assurance that you don't have COVID. And who are the companies making these tests? Who are the major players? In 2020, the FDA got thousands of submissions of tests from many different kinds of companies. There were big established public providers of diagnostics and tiny tech companies who said, oh, gosh, like nothing else is happening. We might as well try making a COVID test. But the ones who emerged from that process or have so far when we really started approving rapid at-home tests Abbott, one of the biggest pharmaceutical medical device makers in the country, along with another public company called Quidel, which is a little bit more specialized, a little bit smaller, but still a very large diagnostics manufacturer, got an at-home test approval for something you could use without a prescription, importantly, at the end of March 2021. And so 
those were the companies that were able to ramp up production to be ready for the waves that came later. And remember back to March 2021, vaccines were starting to become available and it was thought that testing wouldn't be as big of a market, even though public health officials said, look, it's essential that we continue to test because we don't know where the variants are going to be. So they were basically the only game in town when the Delta wave hit. And their financial results in this second and third quarters of 2021 have borne that out, that this has been very lucrative for them. So we have the companies that are making the tests. We have the tests and those companies have a financial incentive to sell them to us. Why don't we have more tests on the pharmacy shelves? So there has been a bottleneck at the FDA. The FDA is an organization that is charged with making sure medical devices, which diagnostics are considered part of, are accurate and safe and effective. So they do that in a way that prizes accuracy above all other qualities, accuracy for an individual test taker. And so they were extremely skeptical of antigen tests for a long period of time. They wanted to make sure that they compared almost perfectly with PCR tests, and that was the benchmark that they used. So because of that, companies that had submitted antigen tests in mid-2020, late 2020, waited months to get responses back because it just wasn't the priority. The thought was we need to maintain a really high level of sensitivity and avoid any false negatives or false positives. As a result of that, there was only a handful of at-home tests authorized by the spring. There are many smaller companies, or even bigger companies, honestly, that were selling tests in Europe because it was easier to get authorized because their approval systems are very different and they prized or they valued the ability to test frequently. Europe didn't have vaccines available as rapidly as the US did. So they were a little bit forced to lean forward into testing as a backstop. So Europe has long had at-home tests and more widely available diagnostics, so they're a little bit more comfortable with this type of thing. Tests were as easily available as candy, basically, and they weren't perfectly accurate, but everyone sort of understood what this test was supposed to mean. It's supposed to be something that you use maybe a couple times a week so that as soon as you become infectious enough for the test to pick up the virus, then you know you have to isolate to prevent passing it on to others. And so there was a lot of test makers saying, FDA, what is your deal? Why are you holding us up so much, asking for something almost perfect when we have something good enough to be really useful to, for example, test everybody before they go into a movie theater, test everybody before they go to schools, the kind of thing that's super effective when you can use it frequently. So you spoke with a source who worked at the FDA, someone who used to review these applications for tests. You talked to him about what's going on at the agency. What did they tell you? He was baffled by the slowness with which a test application, which he could evaluate pretty quickly and tell whether it was going to be useful and whether it met the FDA's standards, it would sort of remain in his queue. It wouldn't get either approved or rejected by the folks above him. And this is really frustrating because he felt like he wasn't doing the job he could for the country, which needed to be authorizing more tests quickly or rejecting tests that they weren't going to authorize because that kept test developers in limbo for months and months and months. 
And the sense was they were just a little bit paralyzed by indecision, worried of making the wrong decision that would create criticism from either side, from those who wanted more tests more quickly or those who were very insistent that they be highly accurate. And because at that time, it was a pretty hot debate, both within the Trump administration and within the Biden administration. Well, inevitably, it sounds like what your source told you was that there was just a a holdup. Was there something nefarious happening or is this just a story about bad government bureaucracy? I guess you could also just argue that it's a good thing that the FDA is taking its time and making sure to approve only the most accurate tests. So we received allegations that are out there about the official who is mostly in charge of authorizing these tests. The guy named Dr. Tim Stenzel. He worked in the private sector for most of his career at these very companies submitting these very types of tests to the FDA. So he spent about five years at Quidel between 2009 and 2014. And before that, he was at Abbott. And, you know, for Quidel, he oversaw the molecular test development. And so PCR tests, the more accurate type of test. So he knows exactly how the FDA works. And he has very strong ties with these companies. And it's true that Dr. Stenzel called up Quidel in the early stages of the pandemic and said, will you guys make tests? Because I think they're going to be needed. And turned out he was right. And Quidel not only got the first at-home test without a prescription authorized in early 2021, they also got one of the first antigen tests for point of care use. That's for something that you can get like a nurse to do, but it's just not something you can buy at the pharmacy. But they made a lot of money on that too. Stenzel doesn't have stock in those companies anymore, but the sense that we got is that he is familiar with these companies and these companies are familiar with the FDA. And so they just kind of had an easier time. They were more trusted. And you know what? In a pandemic, you could say that's a good thing. Like we needed somebody who you could trust at an agency telling his friends at a company, look, trust me, you need to make tests because otherwise they might just not do it. But that also leads to a certain degree of favoritism and closes the door to companies that had really innovative approaches that could have ramped up quickly and could have created a situation where tests were much more freely available, similar to like how it is in Europe. Right. And of course, having the guy at the FDA who is responsible for approving these tests as an alum of these two companies that did get their tests approved, it's it doesn't look good. It's a bad look. It's a bad look. Has anybody asked the government to look into this or kind of gotten more serious about their criticism? The American Economic Liberties Project did send the HHS a letter saying this is unacceptable. We demand an investigation. And HHS responded saying, look, he has passed all of our ethics rules and there's nothing to see here. And again, I don't think this is a case of corruption. I think this is uh, one of the more typical things that you see in Washington, where because private sector executives go in between government jobs and companies pretty frequently, that advantages companies that they come from because there's just a level of relationship and trust. So what has the FDA said in response to the criticism it's getting? So, again, they, they've just said, like, look, we want to make sure that all these tests are accurate because we are very afraid of people taking a test. It turns out negative. They think they don't have COVID. So they go on their merry way. 
And that's why they, they really do have this very medicalized philosophy of what the test is for. And they don't believe that people will be able to understand that a test is less than perfectly accurate, doesn't pick up all of the virus, that it is not a definitive verdict on whether or not they have COVID. So that's their philosophy. And they defended it in multiple fora. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of public health professionals out there, epidemiologists rather than medical doctors, who say, look, that's not the important thing about a test. We are missing out on the main point of testing, which is to do this frequently enough that it's something that, you know, you will pick up as soon as you become infectious. But is public funding a part of this, too? It sounds like European countries have really invested a lot in getting tests to people, but the U.S. hasn't. Absolutely. So that's something that both the head of the division that, you know, Stencil's boss told us directly was, look, you all keep going on about Europe, but the real difference between us and them is that they put bazillions of dollars behind buying tests for everybody to make them free. And for that reason, companies have gone to Europe and gone through their approval process. And, you know, he'll say, we can't force people to come to the U.S. And it's true. There are some companies that haven't even come to the U.S. because they know it will be hard for them to get through the approval process. But also, there wasn't the promise of big government contracts if they did. And it creates market certainty when, just like vaccines, like the U.S. committed to the makers of vaccines that not only will we subsidize your research and development, we will also buy up all the supply you can give us. And therefore, why wouldn't you forge forward? And there was nothing like that for testing. So has the federal government done anything lately to help get more at-home tests on pharmacy shelves? For sure. They started doing this in kind of early September as the Delta wave was really peaking. And there were folks badgering the White House that they really needed to focus on at-home tests. So they did a few things. They have been spending hundreds of millions of dollars on orders for tests. Abbott and Quidel have been the biggest beneficiaries of that. They've been authorizing more tests, some of the you know ones made in China that can supply something like 200 million a month, which is really significant. I mean, that would almost basically fulfill what medical experts say is necessary for us to safely reopen a lot of places. And they've been streamlining their testing procedures and taking a leaf out of the European book, establishing a program that will actually just take the test and evaluate it at the NIH, right? Rather than saying, hey, companies, give us your data and your validation studies and we'll tell you if there's anything wrong with them. And that would result in this like months long back and forth where the companies would say like, is this okay? And FDA would say, no, you need more of this or that. And so this, I think, tests that are good get approved more quickly and tests that are not, don't. And I wonder, did the experts you talked to think that this was enough, or is there a better plan that could get more tests on shelves? Generally, the response has been positive. We're glad that the administration seems to be taking this seriously. They are really prioritizing this now. Um, it's like a White House-level priority. But there's folks like, you know, a very visible advocate of rapid tests, Michael Minna, is an epidemiologist at Harvard. And he continues to say that the FDA still hasn't gotten through its head the proper use and understanding of a rapid COVID test. And that is a medical viewpoint of what a device should do and a public health epidemiology view of what a device should be. That's the fundamental difference of opinion that still remains, even though the FDA is coming closer to that perspective. Well, Lydia, thanks for your rigorous reporting on this, and thank you for explaining it to us. Thank you so much. 
Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. Once again, I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.